Hello. Just to let you know that this episode contains some strong language and racist terminology within the description of a lived experience that some listeners may find offensive. It's dawn, the 1st of January, 2021. Britain has officially left the EU. As the people of Penzance in Cornwall slowly awake to a new year, they begin to notice that something's different. During the night, somebody has hoisted 18 Union Jack flags along the seaside promenade. Usually, these flagpoles are home to huge, specially commissioned banners for the summer festival of Gilawan. In the winter, they're left empty due to the heavy winds. But this unnamed individual took it upon themselves without permission to raise these flags and mark what they thought was a significant moment. Within 24 hours, the Labour Mayor of Penzance, Nicole Broadhurst, had had them taken down again. She said, any flag flown from the poles on the prom needs to have been given permission from the owners of the poles. In this case, that is Cornwall Council. If they were Peppa Pig flags, or St Piran flags, or EU flags, they would still have to come down if no permission had been given for them to be put up. Soon, there was a public outcry to have the flags reinstalled, followed by a petition demanding Nicole's removal from office, which gained over 4,000 signatures. According to Cornwall Live, the individual was reported to say, I put the Union Jack flags up to help celebrate Great Britain finally gaining its independence from the European Union. They were not put up to create further divide in our community. They were put up to try and unite us as a nation. But sadly, that wasn't the case. The key element to this story is that Nicole Broadhurst is a black woman. Soon enough, she received hundreds of racist, abusive messages on social media. Things like, don't you dare show your face in this town, you're an incomer, go back to where you came from. Her and her husband were badly shaken up after people drove out to their remote house late one night, flashed their headlights into the sitting room and shouted abuse. The police had to install a panic alarm in case it happened again. People like to think of Cornwall as a safe and happy place. But I thought it was incredibly telling how quickly a dispute about flags turned into a row about race. I'm Seamus Carey and I'm curious to know what it's like to grow up here if you aren't like me, a white person. What's it like to visit? And how racist is Cornwall, really? Let's find out in The Reason Why.
Episode 7, Rural Racism. What do you think of Cornwall? I, I treat it in the same way that I treat everywhere that feels in some way rural in the UK. So as soon as I leave, kind of densely populated, and I think that means city, not even not even a large town. When I'm outside of those places, I'm, I'm on tenterhooks. I'm anxious. Uh, I feel like I'm constantly talking in an accent, even though I'm not. Well, I am a London one, but it, to me it's English. I'm speaking to Matthew Zia from his home in London. He's a theatre director and DJ with English, Jamaican and Scottish heritage. I was fascinated to get his opinion on Cornwall as someone who visits now and then. Does it get to the point where you just can't be bothered? Does it feel it's so draining and so kind of um, always in the back of your mind when you when you step out of a city? It's always in the front of my mind, I think, and that's the thing. Yeah, sometimes. And, and then I kind of go through phases of trying to develop my own relationship with what it is. Am I projecting something onto the, the, these people? Quite often, maybe I am. But where does that come from? When it comes from that time I approached that pub and someone said, look out, here comes a nigger, and you just go, oh... Obviously, it's extremely shocking to hear that word being used in this day and age. I wondered if Matthew changes his behaviour because of experiences like this. I went into Falmouth Town and I went into a shop, uh, but this is me walking into a shop. So I walk into the shop and then I put my hands behind my back, I put my hands in my pocket. Because I want them to know that I'm not here to steal things. And I just do it unconsciously, which is really, I hate it. I wish... Again, I want to fight it and take my hands out and pick things up off the shelves, but I don't because it's not worth the aggro. So so will I not go to Cornwall? No, but I will modify my behaviour. He went on to tell me how he and his family come down every year on holiday, actually just over the border in Devon. But I think in this context, that's beside the point. So we rent a lovely little cottage in a place called Hope Cove, which is literally about 12 houses around a cove and and two little restaurants. Um, And I always feel like from the moment I step out of the car when we arrive, I've literally got a loud hailer and I'm shouting, black guy on the beach, black guy on the beach. I'm waving the flag. It's whichever flag other people want to see. It's ISIS, it's Jihad, it's Jamaica, it's England, you know, St. George Cross. It's whichever flag other people choose to put onto me whilst I'm there. I take my top off, you know, on the beach. And it's everything is like, in my mind, like there's a spotlight on me uh, and everyone's staring. And sometimes it's because they are. And when I walk into a restaurant, Again, I feel like a, a sensor goes off around the door. Beep, beep, flashing lights. And I don't know if it's to warn people or to alert people, but everyone just scopes me out. I asked Matthew if he'd experienced outright blatant racism whilst being in Cornwall. No, I've experienced microaggressions, fascination, which I kind of term benevolent racism. <laughs> yeah, do you think fasc- is fascination a microaggression? Intent is an interesting thing, isn't it? And how intent is communicated and how intent it can be misinterpreted. So when does it stop being... Um, so what kind of pepper is that and how does it grow? And, and wow, I wonder how that... And can you get that here easily? Like, that's their interesting questions to, um, to a kind of subtextual investigation as to 
do you have a permit to be here? And when does it feel like you're being interrogated and poked around with a stick in a, in a, in a cage or something? I knew someone else who'd experienced microaggressions in Cornwall. Now, some people might be quite shocked about this, but when I was growing up, I only had one black friend. Maybe that's not so surprising when looking at the 2011 National Census, which found that 98.2% of the population of Cornwall were white. This is definitely shifting, And in fact, Falmouth is probably one of the most diverse towns, thanks to the university and the docks. That may well be, but I decided to catch up with an old mate and have a conversation, which weirdly, we'd never had before. Hello. Can you hear me? Where are you? What are you in? Are you in a caravan? No, I'm in my shed in Camborne. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. My name's Chloe Peglau. Um, I am Cornish, born and raised in Cornwall, spent most of my life in Falmouth. Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm an ocean lover, an educator and an activist. Right off the bat, I was quite surprised by how easily Chloe identified as Cornish. A lot of Cornish nationalists would tell you you can't be Cornish if you're not like lineage. <laughs> I'd say I was from Cornwall, but then in the same way if I was travelling abroad I'd probably say I'm from England you know rather than I'm, then I'm English but maybe that's a personal thing about my identity because it's like more nuanced when you've got so many different heritages and you know like I'm first generation immigrant on one side and second generation immigrant on the other side so it's kind of like owning any one identity is is a bit more difficult. When we were growing up Chloe was surrounded by our funny gang of quirky arty white mates. I can't remember ever having a conversation with her about the fact that she was black. When you're a child and you grow up, your life is just your life. You don't really, you're not really aware of other perspectives or sort of parallel universes where you could have been living a different life, I suppose. And it's only as you become older and you meet different people and you learn more about society that you understand that you're, the place that you were born determines so much of your life. I mean, I definitely very early on knew that I was different from my peers and exploring that now I think there's a a large number of mixed race and black people or generally people of colour in Cornwall who lived very isolated childhoods and not for lack of friends but just for lack of um, solidarity and it is just solidarity it's like seeing um, this representation as well you know when I was at primary school I think there was like a Japanese family I felt an affiliation with them because there are so few people who represent like other that you kind of all feel the same and realistically like not necessarily in terms of racism experienced but the experience of isolation of an ethnic minority essentially in Cornwall is the same. Chloe told me about her experiences of microaggressions a lot of people would just say that I was tanned and like I spent a large amount of my childhood thinking I was tanned and I was like I've not been in the sun I don't have a tan <laughs> it's just my skin and like that is of microaggressions that like just leave you feeling like an outsider. It was time to ask an uncomfortable question. Did you ever experience sort of like unintentional racism from close friends? Um, yeah, definitely. Oh, I mean, one of our close friends who's in our friendship group. I mean, 
that wasn't even racist, but um, like he used to just call me Darkie as a nickname. As soon as Chloe mentioned this, I clearly remembered it. Thinking about it now, I'm pretty sure I didn't say it myself, but I do remember it being said, and I didn't do anything about it. She was also sometimes known as Black Chloe. I'm almost certain that this was meant to be an innocent, inoffensive way of identifying her within our group. We could say it was a different time, we didn't know any better because of lack of exposure. However, being reminded of it now is pretty shocking. I mean, when you're a teenager, you're just so desperate to try and align with something, aren't you? So I guess, like, you know, we had our little band of friends and we were all kind of like hippies who kind of dressed weird and like listened to fun music. And I guess that was like one level. And then it's like this other level where people are identifying me as black, but I don't have any indicators for that culture in my surroundings. So part of me kind of wanted to own it. But then another part of me, I didn't know anything about that culture to identify with it. I identified a lot more strongly with, you know, our, our band of kind of like young Cornish teenagers. Chloe's done really well for herself. She's got a master's in chemistry. She sailed around the Mediterranean, but she doesn't live in Cornwall anymore. One of the reasons I actually moved to Leeds was because I got to a point where I just felt I couldn't deal with the lack of diversity in Cornwall anymore. And it's so much better than it used to be. Every single time I go out in Falmouth, I see other people of colour. So it is much better, but also it's exhausting being the only person. And even though, like I say, I haven't necessarily experienced racism on a daily basis, it's that discomfort that I have in myself of just feeling like people are looking at me. The topic of being the only person of colour is something I want to look at in more detail. However, just before we move on, I want to tell you something positive. A week after chatting to Chloe, I received a voice note from her. She said she'd been reflecting on our conversation and had got a lot from it. She said, that kind of exploration of identity is really important for everyone, so it was nice to have a partner in doing it. I was delighted to hear this. I came away from it feeling good too. If making this podcast has taught me anything, it's that dialogue is incredibly healthy, particularly when it comes to tackling difficult subjects. The more we face up to the facts and acknowledge certain privileges, the more progress we might make. End of sermon. We've all heard it before, the racist rhetoric of go back to where you came from. But what if this is where you came from? Your family have been here for three generations. It was suggested that I talk to the Cockles, a well-known Cornish family who are also black. Do you get asked quite often, where are you from? Yes. Uh, with monotonous regularity. I just say, oh, I'm British, and then I turn the question back on to the person who, who's asked me because I've spent many, many years explaining myself away, explaining my presence, because the question usually comes as a result of, you don't look like you ought to be here, 
Let's find out. This is Maria Cockle. She's a dentist. I'm practically the only person around any given dinner party table who has to go into their grandparents and great-grandparents in order to be safely put into some sort of compartment that people can manage. It just so happens, though, that her grandfather's story is fascinating. Well, he was from Ghana, and there was a moment when his father, who he was quite well off, he expressed a wish that his son should go to school in the UK. My grandfather, although he knew it was going to happen sometime, wasn't quite prepared. He was sent to school in Liverpool, but Maria told me it didn't really work out. So he immediately jumped aboard a vessel and sailed all over the world as a seafarer. He ended up on ships that carried China clay, which eventually led him to East Cornwall. He married a woman from Loo, and he lived in Loo for a little while. But she and their baby died while he was offered on some sea trip. But when he married again, they had five sons. So we've been here a while. I've still got two brothers and a cousin in the county and my brothers have children and their children have children. So we're into the fourth generation here now. So surely that means the Cockles are a true Cornish family. Uh, there are members of my family who, who see themselves very strongly as Cornish. But for me personally, I think my identity is more as a, a black British woman than as a Cornish black British woman, but I do have an immense affection for Cornwall and a pride in aspects of Cornwall. What holds you back from identifying as Cornish, do you think? Because I think it has become associated with a certain sort of narrowness, which I don't think is me. That's really interesting. Could you describe that narrowness any further? Okay, there are people who who say that, oh, you've got to have two generations of Cornish, both sides of your family before you can even have to be considered Cornish, and yeah, yeah. Okay, there are members of my family who do meet those criteria now. But for me, personally, I don't quite meet them because, although I was born here, I'm not sure there's any Cornish DNA running in my veins. I don't think there is. But there is a strong streak of something which is connected to Cornwall. Maria told me how for a long time it felt like they were the only black family in Cornwall. People knew us. Now that Cornwall is sort of has opened up in lots of ways, people don't sort of know each other in the way that they used to. But there was a time sort of in it, sort of 50s, 60s, 70s where if you saw a black person in the street, it was one of us. So much so that Maria was surprised to find that this could potentially have positive outcomes. So a few years ago, a friend came to stay. We did the usual thing, which is to show her all the places that we love. For this particular few days, it seemed that everywhere we went, somebody knew me. And it became a running joke between us, uh, saying, are you one of their cockles? When I tried to renew my National Trust membership in the car park at Kynance, with the guy at the car park, he saw the name on my debit card and he said, oh, are you one of the cockles? And 
he said, oh, yeah, I was at school with X or Y of my brothers or sisters or something. And it happened two or three times over the next few days. And at the end of the stay, my friend said, you've built something here. She's a black woman as well. And she said, if, if any of our other mates come down and somebody says to them, are you one of their cockles? I'm going to tell them, say yes and be proud, she says. Which I thought was, I thought was very moving <laughs> and unexpected. Do you find that the fact that people would assume that you're one of the cockles just because you're black, do you find that offensive anyway? Uh, no, I don't find that offensive, but I think there are other black people who might not like it too much. Because, because it's part of that whole thing of, oh, black people are one homogeneous mass, which is not true, of course. Again, here's a good example of a microaggression that Maria experiences on a day-to-day -day basis. Patients will come in and speak to the nurse. They wouldn't think that I could possibly be the dentist, although I'm standing there in a different coloured uniform with the word dentist on my lapel. They will speak to the nurse and completely ignore me. That is one of these sort of low-level racist things that would happen on a daily basis, yeah. It's worth pointing out here that racist microaggressions like this can happen anywhere, not just Cornwall. However, there's a seemingly innocent word from the Cornish dialect, which I think is very dangerous. During the last episode, I talked about the phrase Kernobisvigan and Cornish flag bumper stickers. I've often thought about getting a bumper sticker for my car, I guess to prove where I'm from. But there's a reason why I can't have one. A couple of years ago, I was in Sainsbury's car park when I noticed that the vehicle in front of me had a Cornish bumper sticker with a difference. In the white bit of the flag were the words non-emmet. Emmet is commonly thought to be derived from the Cornish language word for ant to describe tourists in the summer season. However, it's actually from the Cornish dialect of English and is derived from the Old English word amet, from which the modern English word ant is also derived. The Cornish word for ant is actually morion. There's debate as to whether it's a derogatory term, but I've only ever heard it used in that way, as locals complain about holidaymakers, or more generally, people who aren't from Cornwall. I think it's an othering term, used subconsciously to define us from them. Whether it's a joke or not, I found this particular bumper sticker to be so unfriendly, almost xenophobic. I imagined being a recently arrived non-Cornish family of any race and how that slogan, non-Emmet, would make me feel. Shit, probably. That's why I can't bring myself to have even a Cornish flag bumper sticker in case anyone were to associate me with that other vehicle owner. Now, this may sound a bit silly and trivial, but I think it's the tip of a much bigger iceberg. Loads of people I know have Cornish flag stickers. Here's the Mebian Kerno councillor, Michael Bunny, who we met last time. Do you have a Cornish bumper sticker? Yes, pass? yeah. Why do you have that? Um, because I love Cornwall and, I'm, and I think it's something to celebrate, yeah. Well, that seems fair enough. But over the past year, 
as tensions rose with record-breaking numbers of tourists coming to Cornwall for staycations, the roads here became busier than ever. I found myself grumpily driving around, becoming suspicious and acutely aware of who has and who hasn't got a Cornish flag bumper sticker. On this subject, I had a good chat with Deborah Hinton, an aristocratic Cornish woman and proud member of Mebian Kerno, the party for Cornwall. I have one on my car, and when I see somebody else with the same thing on, what I think is you should know how to reverse. Your car, thank God, is fairly small, and I'm not going to have a whole lot of being held up for the next half hour because you can't go two steps back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I'm grateful when I see other Cornish cars, because... I just have to say that, I mean, I agree, I find people that can't reverse very irritating, but I, there must be Cornish people with Cornish bumper stickers who also cannot reverse. Because <laughs> this leads to me, this is like the next step is me driving along with a big SUV and I think, oh, blah, God, coming down here, just taking up the road and I see a Cornish bumper sticker and I, and I think, nah, he's all right. And what, yes, that, you're that right. is dangerous. That's like me seeing a black guy in the street and going, oh, coming down here because he's black and then you find out he's got a Cornish accent and I say, he's okay. Like, that is so dangerous. Yeah, you're And right. it leads to really, a real slippery slope. It would be too easy to end this episode on a negative note. Cornwall clearly has a long way to go. However, there's been an undeniable global shift when it comes to the issue of race, even over the past two years. Growing up here, it often felt very distant when political movements happened in the major UK cities. I remember when I was a boy, my mum going on a big bus to London to protest against Tony Blair and the Iraq war. I watched it on TV. It felt very far away. Yet this recently changed. The murder of George Floyd sparked anger and protest worldwide. And suddenly, it was happening in Cornwall too. Throughout June 2020, Black Lives Matter protests started popping up in different towns. Now you have to remember that this was still early days in the first lockdown, so gathering in large numbers was fairly controversial. This galvanised the forming of a group which would soon become the focal point of race issues in Cornwall. Myself and a few other people were thinking like, oh well we can't just continue protesting this whole time, like we've got to, we've got to do something else. This is Abby Hutchinson. So I contacted Julian German, the lead councillor of Cornwall Council, and I kind of asked him, you know, what are you doing about the racism in Cornwall and all these disparities? And then he invited me onto their new council's BAME steering group. And then we was like, why don't we start our own group and like initiate some some real change alongside the councils. And we was like, do we call it Black Voices Cornwall or Bane Voices Cornwall? Like, we wanted to make it clear that even though we're called Black Voices Cornwall, that we're a voice for all ethnicities and for all minorities. Black Voices Cornwall say they exist to enable Cornwall to become an actively anti-racist county. They bring increased awareness and empowerment through communication, education and unification. We're in partnership with the NHS. We're providing training for them and consultations with their staff, their managers, etc. in terms of like being able to decrease their racial disparity. And we're also doing work with the police, Devon Cornwall and Dorset Police, to 
also cure their racial disparities. Not only this, they're working with kids. See, we've got schools doing the same as well because education is the most important, being able to help the children understand that, you know, there are different people in the world and we need to accept them and not continue the oppression that, that is alive and kicking today. Abby and Black Voices Cornwall had big hopes for that year. We would like 2021 to be the actively anti-racist movement year, or like when the movement started. We're trying to like tell everybody about it so that more people become actively anti-racist because when we're like teaching in schools and we're bringing our children up actively anti-racist, like these are the people who are gonna be running our governments and running the big industries and running the schools. So that's gonna be a really powerful generation of people who you know don't accept any sort of racism or discrimination so that that's the goal and we want it to start this year this this actively anti-racist movement black voices cornwall are still doing great stuff and it's worth checking them out so we've looked at some of the issues around being a person of color in cornwall But of course, the concept of othering doesn't stop there. There are many more minorities living here who are barely recognised in the mainstream narrative of this place. It's time to look further and discover what other communities can be found here. What happens if you don't fit the sexual or gender norms? And what facilities are there if you don't follow the dominant form of religion? Find out next time on the reason why. The Reason Why was written, presented and produced by Seamus Carey. The music was by him too. Additional production on the theme tune was by Mr BJ Jackson. Graphic design by Philida Blumel. Photography by Steve Tanner. Special thanks to all our contributors as well as the Holman Climax Male Voice Choir for the sampling of their 1974 album, The Reason Why. The associate producer was Charlie Bunker. The executive producer was Paul Dodgson. This was an Impossible Producing and Seamus Carey production funded by Arts Council England. Thank you.